The Crux of the Matter, Episode 34, Islam in Western Europe. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hello, Scott. How are you today? Todd, I'm doing great. How are you? Well, it's overcast here, which is, you know, just bizarre, except for the fact that the reason it's overcast is because of all the smoke from the fires. Oh, so, okay. We have, uh, yeah. there are a number of uh, fires up in the mountains and uh, east of here, and it just sort of floats down into the into the valley. So that's kind of a, a sad sort of overcast. I hope it, uh, hope everyone's kept safe and the like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's sunny here, but yeah. um, you know those fires can happen anywhere. So yep, that's true. Especially if anywhere happens to be California. Yep. So be dry. We're both in California, in case people yep. don't know. Yep, exactly. So, so we're rolling along here. Uh, the fall is beginning. Uh, teaching is continuing. Um, I am uh, kind of working working my way through Hebrews and Genesis right now. Really having a lot of fun with. Uh, a lot of fun with Genesis. There are so many interesting words in there. I talked about that a little bit last week. That uh, a word for sprout, blustids, blustidzomai, blus, something like that, and uh, and others. But uh, are you teaching anything interesting this week, Scott? Um, well, I've been teaching C.S. Lewis as mere Christianity, and we're oh, kind yeah. of setting that aside for the moment. I'll come back to that later. You know, we, the first two parts of the book um, are about. Uh, natural knowledge of God and about who is Jesus, and then in the second in the second section of the book, he starts to talk more about uh, Christian living, and right. uh, of course, in the final section, he talks about the Trinity. But um, but in any case, I, I was teaching mere Christianity, and then uh, most recently, I'm teaching law and gospel. No, proper that's a distinction nice topic. between them. Yeah, so what yeah, do you it use is it for that. Um, well, uh, it's just um, one of the chapters in this in this textbook by edited by Stephen Mueller called "Called to Believe," oh, and it's yeah. a, a brief introduction that. to Christian doctrine. It's published by Wiffenstock, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's what we use as our our basic dogmatics text, and it's it's got chapters written by different people like Corey Moss and. And um, you know the Steve faculty Miller, there, basically. Yeah, mo- yeah, essentially, mostly, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And um, and and so it's quite good. I don't know who wrote the chapter on law gospel, but it's just um, you know an introduction. And what's what's fun about it for me as a professor is that in this same class, you know, if I've got thirty students in the class, I've got students who are confirmed LCMS who right. who have heard this before. And and have told me, you know, they're raising their hands, they're answering questions, they come up and talk to me afterwards. But then I've got I've got professed atheists, I've got uh, Muslims, uh, Hindus, uh, and then all the everything else under the sun. And 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 it's really kind of exciting to kind of see them wrestle with these concepts of law and gospel because for many of them, they've never ever ever thought about these sorts of things, and so sure. it's kind of fun. Sure. Oh, that's awesome. That's that's yeah. Wonderful. I like that. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. So, so we, should we uh, dive into our topic today? Yeah, let's do that. What are we talking about, Scott? Okay, so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about a little bit um, this phenomenon. We've been watching the news, and and if you're listening, you've probably seen in the news about all these poor refugees who are pouring out of the Middle East and trying to get into Western Europe. 
And some countries are more welcoming than others. And one of the countries that's been quite open arms to them is Germany. And so you've got folks from Afghanistan and Iran and, and uh, probably other countries going into Germany. And one thing that's made the news is there's a little – what was a little Lutheran congregation in Berlin called Trinity Lutheran Church or Trinity Church, Pastor Gottfried Martins. And he has had a very large number of baptisms in the last couple of years of, of these Iranians and these uh, Muslims from other parts of the world who are coming in. So th- it's been kind of neat seeing this on, you know, in, in international newspapers. I've seen it on, on television. Uh, this, this phenomenon is Christianity today was covering it. Right. So if he went from about 150 of his parishioners to 600 people, Plus, in two years or so, most of those being converts uh, who are renouncing their Muslim faith and being baptized as Christian, being instructed and baptized as Christians. And and so we wanted to talk a little bit today about just to comment on that and yeah. to, to kind of ask the question, you know, what do we think is going on there? And, and um, you know, what are they doing that, that may be different than other churches and Right, and right. just to face the reality that Islam is a force, and it's the mission field, and it's going. While we don't have floods, the same flood of immigrants at the present time, uh, the United States has a growing Muslim population, and we have an opportunity. If you live anywhere near an urban center, uh, to address the gospel with people who who just simply don't believe, you know, not they've never they've never heard it, or they've heard it and we've rejected it. So what do you think um, – what was your first reaction when you saw this news report? Well, it's it, – I mean it, it is remarkable. First of all, this is a uh, – this is a, a sister congregation, part of the, the ZELC, the Independent Lutheran Church. Um, and uh, and this is by ZELC standards a, a pretty good-sized congregation, about 150 members um, that has kind of exploded in the last two two years – to 600 members. So, you know, imagine your congregation quadrupling in size in two years. Yeah. And, and, um, boy, just the Lutheran curmudgeonness that would ensue from that. I don't even know. Yeah. I oh, mean, sure. just, you know, just thinking structurally and how, how do you physically handle all of those people changing, changing service times and, you know, never mind questions about language and culture mm-hmm. and food and dress. And, and, uh, I'm going to guess, at least in what little I've seen of those videos that you're talking about a lot of children, very often in, um, you know, in smaller congregations, you're going to have a preponderance of the elderly. And so the, so the influx of, of, uh, different ages, um, an upheaval would be, uh, uh probably putting it mildly. Um, so yeah, I, th- I, I, it is, it is remarkable. Now I have kind of a, Kind of an interesting history with Pastor Martins. He was um, a vicar. He studied at the Fort Wayne Seminary for a little while before you or I were students there. And then he was a vicar at I think this parish. And I'm about 90% certain that I stayed with him on choir tour 25 years ago because we sang at Trinity at Trinity Church there in in Berlin, and I'm pretty confident that I that I stayed with him. So I've met him a couple times. Um, 
you know, he's a very, very young man at that point. He's looked to me from the television that he, I'm going to guess he's in his 50s now, something like that. But, um, but how do you approach that level of that number of people coming in? And how, how does one, how do you catechize? How do you, uh, what, is it a matter of, okay, we've had this huge number of people. What do we change in order to adapt to this? Or is it we've got this huge number of people coming in. How do we help them to adapt to us? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm sure the answer to that is it's both. Yeah. But, but what, what, is the, what is the stay the same part and what is the, what is the change part? That, that's a well, part of what I find fascinating in that question. I think if you go from 150 um, of of German folk, native German folk probably, and right. 450 Iranians, um, I, I think I know who's going to be adapting to who. <laughs> Let's be frank. Um, sure. But I also yeah, know Germans that's not a bad pretty thing. well. <laughs> yeah, I do too. And and they don't like that. So there's for sure going to be two services or three or ten. Right. I don't know how big this church is. Yeah, I don't um, know either. And, and you know, when and it, there's all sorts of questions. I mean, for one thing, when we hear that there have been 600 and some conversions, well, what does that really mean? Does that mean that many baptisms and half of them are not sticking around? Right. Or right. does it mean that um, these are people that are becoming active uh, members of the congregation? Well, the AP story that I was just looking at before we started – says that Martin's claims that there have been less than 10% attrition. So 90% of the people that have come, come in are really joining the community, which is, which is a stunning figure. It is. And, and when you think about it, uh, these people are um, – th- there's tremendous risk. Be, you know, I don't, I don't want to overstate the case, but I do want to make the case that there is risk in renouncing Islam Right, especially if you're from you know a place like Afghanistan or or, or Iran, right. renouncing Islam and becoming a Christian, uh, you know you've, you're committing blasphemy. Um, you know you you your your very life and the life of your family is somewhat at stake, and you're in a foreign country already where you don't know the right. language. And, oh, right, um, and the and the community that you have, if yeah. there is any community, is going to be this community of Muslims. Yeah, and to leave that. For this right. other community, that's remarkable. It, it, it's nothing short of miraculous, I yep. feel. I agree. And I don't know the situation intimately. I just know what I've read in the news. And one thing that I've noticed is that several news reports are very skeptical and are making the point that, right. oh, they're just doing this so that they can get asylum or they have more a greater chance of not being deported. But I think that story is bogus or I think that angle is bogus because Germany is not threatening to deport these people. Germany is wanting – the is is making the uh, open arms gesture to, now, to the refugees. Uh, let me ask you this. Maybe – I don't know if you know the answer to this or not. Um, is a part of this a matter of – because the uh, the birth rate in Western Europe has been going down so dramatically in the last decades that there is a, a very real concrete need for younger people. I mean, is that do you think that's a part of what's what's going on culturally? 
You mean for why, why a country like Germany with a strong economy, right. relatively right. strong economy, right. but yet a low birth rate? I think that's probably part of it. Um, what, you know, I, the, the reports I listen to on, on the news is that I think there's genuine humanitarian concern. Um, I, but I, yes, I think you're probably right. I think that some, some Western European countries, but really some of the countries that need these immigrants the most in terms of a labor force are right. not the ones that are, are welcoming them. Are opening. Um, you know, right. you, you've got, you know, Germany is a relatively strong economy, I think, from what yeah. I know, oh, a yeah. little I know of the European Union. Um, and they've, they've been, um, so open armed as I think has Great Britain and, and other countries are trying to, you know, take in a share. But, um, I, you know, the NPR interviews that I've listened to have all just stressed the humanitarian angle, the need for, uh, helping these, the, these refugees, the, the tremendous, uh, plight that they're, that they are experiencing. And just, you know, we've seen some, we've seen some pretty haunting images yeah. of dead children washing up on beaches. Yeah. And, Terrifying. Um, you know, a photograph, in, 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 in political thought, in political life, a single photograph can change the outcome of a war. You know, oh, the right wow. kind of photograph can change, can turn popular sentiment either for something or against something. Right. And, you know, there was that one photo of that little boy with the red blazer on or whatever who was washed up dead on the beach. Yep. You know, drowned because his family was trying to get him to safety, get him to a place where he can have a future. I think that the popular sentiment is, um, at least in some parts of Europe are, Hey, we've got to help. We've got to do something to help these people because they're fleeing ISIS. Right. You know? right. <laughs> and we, we, we're, you know, we, we don't want to, what are we going to do? We're going to, we're going to put up barbed wire fences and then they're going to have to stay in there. Well, I mean, one alternative would be that they go to other Middle Eastern countries. One question I've heard asked sure. is, why aren't they going to Yemen or, you know, the, you know, United Arab Emirates or, right. or, you know, one of these other, um, countries that's relatively, you know, maybe not Yemen, but one of these other Middle Eastern countries that's a little more safe, certainly safe from ISIS. I don't know the answer. Even to Turkey. That. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, why aren't they staying in Turkey? Why are they, why aren't they staying in, um, you know, go to Kuwait? You know, I, I don't know the answer. I haven't heard any reports explaining why that's not a good option or why they are being turned away if they're being turned away. Um, hmm. But it is intriguing. And I wonder what the church – I mean, what, what just strikes me about the whole thing is not just that you've got this flood of people, but that this one congregation has really – maybe it's not the only one – but it's the one that's made a bunch of news stories. Yeah. And, yeah, it is. And it is really amazing. I can't think of anything specific. I don't know this pastor, but I'm sure that I'm guessing he didn't do anything particular other than simply be a good, loving pastor. Well, uh, and, and you know, if they've done no, any I, efforts I, I don't that. have any more inside knowledge on that than you do. But it, it just a, a couple of things kind of cross my mind on that first of all is the is the simple reality that in the scriptures caring for the foreigner is a is it's not a mark of the church but it is it is fundamental to our understanding of hospitality and yeah. christian charity i mean and that goes 
uh, you know, from the good the Good Samaritan to the places of you know places of refuge in the Old Testament, and I mean, in Jesus' entire ministry, in many respects, you could you could look at and see how he is caring for the marginalized. Oh yeah, for the outsider, sometimes literally the outsider. So, so uh, one of the questions that I think that this sort of thing forces us to ask is: Are we being that in? the place where God has put us? How is it that I, as a pastor in Rockland, California, am able to uh, to care for the neighbor and yeah. especially those that come in need? I think that's, that's question one. And here, I, I remember this quite vividly when I moved here four years ago, going to the uh, DMV, you know, doing all the great stuff you do when you move someplace, and, and noticing that Everything on the walls is in English and in Russian mm. and thinking, not Spanish, which is what I would have expected, but yeah. Russian and thinking, hmm, this is not the picture that I think people often, often get. So that's, so that, that biblical image there. And, and I think that that too, in some ways pushes against uh, some of our American xenophobia, yeah, and uh, which is highly ironic for America to be xenophobic. I mean, because <laughs> right. there are very few uh, in America that uh, that kind of started here uh, mm-hmm. that that are uh, that are in posi- certainly that are in positions of leadership, but uh, but we have kind of. Uh, and and it would be an, a whole other question, I think, to ask: Why is it that America is is fairly xenophobic at at this point? Um, as we're recording this, this of course is the 14th anniversary of nine eleven. Yeah, and, that's true. That's true. Uh, and that I think is a part of the answer to that question: Is that uh, is that nine eleven and everything that that happened after that? Um, pretty dramatically shaped the character of our culture in terms of how do I look at people that are different than me? How do I look at the the person with the turban? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I may be afraid that they're a terrorist and not a Sikh, <laughs> yeah, or or whatever it is. Um, so that so those are some pretty fundamental things, and and how do I as a as a pastor, teach the teach the gospel and teach this teach this concept of of vocation of of being a neighbor of of being there for the stranger, the one that is in need. I, I don't know. That's that's kind of what I'm pulling out of this. No, I think that's a huge point. I'm glad you mentioned it, and I think that the care for the foreigner or for the stranger, the alien in your midst, right. is is absolutely a major theme of scripture. I've been doing a lot of research lately on the concept of adoption in the Bible, hmm. and it's stunning to me how much this is comes up. It's in all over the Old Testament, very much so. Sure. But it's also in the New, and Paul talks about it. And you know, there's there's plenty of of uh, thought about how to treat orphans and widows and 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 the alien those are often kind of lumped together as as the people that you most of all 
need to be conscious of. And, you know, in the Old Testament, it'll say, just like you wandered, just, right. you know, to Israel, you just it. like you were strangers in a strange land. Now, this is how I want you to treat strangers when they're in your land. And and that's why the Middle East has such a custom of hospitality, you know, just culturally speaking. Right. Um, the, you know, which Middle we, Easterners which is are, a concept we have largely forgotten. Totally. Um and, and and I've never traveled to the Middle East. Have you ever been to Israel or in, in the no? Middle but East? it's on, it's one of my major life goals, Todd. Me too. Me too. I, soon, soon. Maybe we need to uh, plan like a a, a crux tour. Of, That'd be uh, great of Israel. That would be good. Maybe we'll we'll set up a uh, we'll set up a Kickstarter program to uh, record yeah. crux in uh, <laughs> at the Church of the Sepulchre. Um, yeah. Yeah, that would be lovely. I'm sure they would go for that. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, we. So much has changed in our in American culture in how we look at the foreigner in the last 15 years. And there does have to be a sense of – there does have to be a sense of recovery. I, mm-hmm. I think that that is going to be led by, by churches. Nobody else is going to do this because um, – and, and, and this is the hard – this is the hard part. I think is understanding, understanding that being a neighbor, serving, serving your neighbor, caring for those in need does not mean endorsing what they believe. No. no. I am, I am quite confident that Pastor Martins did not, uh, speak to these people and say, well, you know, you can keep your God and you can just, you know, and, and you can just add two more and we'll call it the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, one of the most, to me, one of the most vivid moments in, uh, in these videos, and I'll have a link to this in the show notes, um, which by the way, you can find at the crux of the matter dot net slash podcast slash 34. Um, I'll, I'll have a link to all this stuff in the show notes. Uh, there is a moment in, uh, in one of the, in the video that I think the video is going around. I think it's an AP article. I saw it first in the guardian, um, where, where there's a baptism going on. Did you see this? See this part? Yeah. Yeah. yeah where the, so there's a baptism going on and they're going through the, the renunciations where, where for us, and they're doing it in German, of course, but in English it's, do you renounce the devil? Yes. And all his works? Yes. And all his ways? Yes. Uh, and he's doing this and he added a line. Now I'm not generally in favor of adding lines to the liturgy. Right. But right. it, but this was a powerful, powerful addition because he had he added do you renounce the devil yes and all his works including islam yes and i thought holy buckets yeah that's i mean that is quite explicit and this is in a public place a you know this is a this has literally been broadcast around the world yeah and seeing these people with wearing crosses now and reading the New Testament and, and even changing their names. I, you know, I, I was right, reading, right. There was one reading of them an article that, where, yeah. where, where the man changed his name from Muhammad to Martin. Right. And, uh, you know, this is I, I, the only thing that makes sense to me is that this is the Holy Ghost. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. I just can't get my head wrapped around that because from what I've read about Islam, and I haven't read a lot, but I've been reading about it some. Is that because I've got Muslim students now in my right, classroom, right. in my theology classroom, 
And so I'm, I'm very interested in their souls and I'm trying to discern how I can best talk to them. And what, and I wonder what they hear when I say what I say, you know, do they, how they hear me? And from what I can tell, you know, nothing is drilled into these people as, as much as the offensiveness of the Trinity and the offensiveness of the cross right? and the blasphemy of saying that the prophet Esau would be crucified. Right. And, uh, and yet to see some of these, these folks wearing crosses now, I mean, I, I suppose you could be cynical and say, well, they're just trying to be asylum seekers, but they've been granted and they're going to, I mean, Angela Merkel has said that, you know, these people are not going to be, are not going to be exported. They're, you know, they're, they're going to, they're being welcomed in by Germany. So I don't, I, I'm not buying the cynical line. I think this is right. a genuine movement of, of the spirit of Pentecost, if you will. And even if that is true, I am quite confident that there are some people that are um, that join the church for uh, less than pure reasons. I'm Undoubtedly, fairly, yeah, I'm fairly confident that that happens everywhere. Yeah. Um, that's that's hardly a new or strange thing. That was one of the big issues that the church faced in the fourth and fifth century as Christianity became tolerated and kind of moved into becoming the quasi official religion of the religion of the empire is all of a sudden it becomes politically expedient to become a Christian. And I mean, in, in many respects, that's also uh, when the rise of the monastic orders really, really take place because of this sense of, well, do you have, do you have multiple levels of Christians? These are the people that joined for political reasons and others for real. I don't know. Um, what uh what I know though is that uh is that the gospel does what it says and that yeah. uh and that and that Christ is at work through his word creating faith when and where he will and that we are privileged to to witness that from time to time and that's a great Well gift. I th- I th- I think if this was simply motivated by hey we want to we think this will increase our chances of of being able to stay um, then you'd see it across the country. You, right. You'd see it every, you know, right. a lot of people would come up with that idea and you would see people. But I think that, that when you, when you can highlight and every news story I've seen has been about this one congregation. Um, and we're talking about a very secular society where, you know, church attendance is right. and church participation is very low and you've got, uh, you know, a, a high degree of conversion rate. In a single congregation, to me, that suggests something unique, and yep. it's not just I sort agree. of a general uh, way to skirt the system. But like you said, I know there, there's going to be some people that are doing it for less than uh, pure reasons, and there are people that maybe they are thinking it'll help. I, I just don't understand how this could help them politically. Well, anything, I, I don't know, and honestly, endangers their lives. Yeah, and, and honestly, I don't even care. It's yeah, right, it's, right, um, right. It, it is what it is. When I drive, Scott, to uh, to downtown Sacramento, if I'm going to downtown Sacramento, I, I get together, have coffee with some of the other uh, pastors in the area. Uh, as I drive downtown there, a part of what I see are two billboards that are right next to each other. One of them is a, is a great big billboard that says, got cannabis. <laughs> um, so it's a billboard, you know, marijuana. So that's number one. And then the, and then the next the next billboard is a billboard that that um, that is a billboard for Islam, and How about an advertisement yeah, for Islam. Yeah, an ab- an advertisement for Islam. I can't remember the exact language. I'll try to I'll try to find a picture of it. But um, 
that is kind of the the stretch of what what we're starting to see, right? Is as a, you know, kind of secularization and and a uh, a hedonistic worldview sort of continues to go down t- down to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, with whatever you want. And on the other end, you have uh, religions like like Islam and others that are deeply attractive if you are repulsed by that hedonism. Absolutely. Uh, and yet Absolutely. at the same time, there is Christ and the gospel. And how is it that we proclaim that in the middle of all of this craziness? Hmm. Yeah, I would, I would challenge our listeners to – especially if you're a pastor, but not just pastors, laity too, to pick up a book about Islam and educate yourself a little bit because wouldn't it be, I mean, if people are worried about terrorism, if people are worried about peace in, in the Middle East and they're you know mindful of the World Trade Center, what, what better thing for us to undertake than to preach and baptize these people. Right. I can't think of a I can't think of anything that could be done that would be better for them, better for society, better for the world than for these people to come to know Christ and to be baptized and incorporated into his body the church. Right. That would be a tremendous mar- marvelous thing. For, so so I, you know, let's educate ourselves a little bit so that we at least aren't stunning our People we talk to, they're not stunned by our ignorance, you know. Right. I think, and that's what I'm so anxious about when I'm teaching in, in front of these Muslim students. That when I talk about um, Christianity, I want to make sure I, I'm sensitive to how they might have been uh, trained or taught. How they, to think how they hear things. that, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, and and so that, with the intent that I might be able to couch things in a way that will cause them to think a little bit, and not just fall into some sort of polemical, you know, apologetic. Right. I am reminded of our, our Lord's words in, uh, in Luke 10 about how I've sent you out as, uh, lambs in the midst of wolves that, uh, that when the wolf consumes the lamb, you are what you eat. Yeah. <laughs> that, the, that, that, that the wolf becomes the lamb and that, uh, and that as we welcome these people and, and bring them Christ, uh, even if there are times when they seek to consume us, uh, if they consume us, uh, they are consuming Christ, and uh, you never know what will ensue as a result. That's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah that's kind of neat. And I, I, you know, so you've got Russians who are coming over, and, and yep. uh, apparently with that billboard, you've definitely got an active Islamic community. It's not large. It's definitely active. If they are seeking recruits and finance, putting up billboards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that kind of mission, you know, I mean, that that's a sense of, of missionary spirit. Um, that says something that, that, mm-hmm. that there's a, that there's some serious Muslims that, you know, they, right. they, they're serious about, they're not just culturally nominally Muslim. And, um, that that would I would take that as a as a cue. You know what can be done if there are refugees in your area, whether they're from the Middle East or from you know Eastern Europe or, or wherever they're coming from. If you've got immigrants, and m- many of our churches are going to be in places where there are immigrants, what can be done? English se- second language classes, uh, assist assisting them with housing. Uh, 
all child care, getting them, helping them get their kids in schools. There's a thousand things. It's all, we're only limited by our lack of creativity. Yep. Yep. I think that's the truth. Well, should we talk old. about our what's bringing us joy? We probably ought. I almost feel like we should take an offering before we do that. That yeah. was rather sermonic, but we'll uh, we'll leave that for Sundays. Um, so, uh, so what's bringing you joy, Scott? Talk to me. Well, since we're talking about this, um, I I have been. This has been on my mind, and this even before the news stories. Um, and so, I've got a couple of books that I purchased from Amazon about uh, Muslims who convert to Christianity. And reading their story and kind of learning about the, the religion of Islam and the culture that's involved and in, in how they became a Christian. So anyway, the one that I'm reading right now, I'm, I'm only halfway through it. So I can't, I can't say, you know, in toto what I think of the book yet, but, um, it's called Seeking Allah, comma, Finding Jesus. Seeking Allah, Finding okay. Jesus. And the subtitle is A Devout Muslim Encounters Christianity. And, uh, the author is an MD. Uh, you know, he's, 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 he's a medical doctor and he's also got a, a, like a master's degree in, in theology. He's a Christian. He's a convert. And, and where I'm at right now is he's still, he's still, he hasn't converted yet in the book, but it's fascinating because he talks a lot about, you know, the, what it's like to be an immigrant. So there's the immigrant experience. He's talking about what it is to be a Muslim in the West. And, and to grow up and be an adolescent, which is, you know, difficult in its own way. And, um, so I'm learning quite a bit. I'm learning some terminology and, and, um, but what I'm hoping is that it'll give me some sensitivity to know how best to talk to Muslims when I, and, you know, cause I'm thinking we've got all these Saudi Arabian students on our campus now. And I'm thinking to my, and talking to my wife. So why don't we invite some of them over for Thanksgiving if they don't have anywhere to go? But then I think, well, would that be even possible? Would they eat with us? Right. Would, you know, I mean, and so I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. They may not even want to enter our home. They may find that to be objectionable. So right. I don't want right. to push them right. away. You don't want to cause offense, but right. right. So what's right. the what is the what's the difference between being hospitable and just being an ugly American? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. An yeah. ignorant, and ugly American. Exactly. Right. Right. So what's bringing you joy? Well, um, this is as, as are many things right now. This is your fault. Um, uh, this is a book that you recommended to me, uh, by Brian Godawa, uh, called Word Pictures, Knowing God Through Story and Imagination. I've kind of been on this imagination kick for about a month and a half now and kind of reading and reading and studying this. I think I talked about the uh, Veith book a couple weeks, two, three weeks back. back. Um, and, and this is really uh, something that uh, Dr. John Kleinig hooked, hooked me on at the Doxology Grand Reunion in early August. Uh, and, and that is simply the concept of what is a Christian understanding of imagination? How do we use story? How do we use the imagination? Um, you know the uh, you know the the line that uh, that uh, that fiction tells lies in order to portray the truth. Um, how is it that uh, how is it that the use of the imagination can actually foster a Christian uh, a Christian worldview? And uh, and and so this is a uh, you you actually know uh, this author Brian is that is that right Scott? Um, I can say that I've met him. And 
uh, he was on my podcast once. We're Facebook friends. Um, And I only friends then. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I only met him because I read one of his books called Hollywood worldviews. Right. And I thought it was pretty good. So I sought him out. And, um, you know, so, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that we, I'd say we're, we're that close, but I do right. like his books. I All mean, right. I like his nonfiction. All right. Well, I will, um, I'm, I'm kind of reading, reading, working my way through this and, uh, maybe we can, maybe we can do a, uh, uh, do a show on imagination a little more specifically like sometime down the road. So that's, uh, okay. so that's given me a lot of fun and, and uh, in the meantime, we uh, we move on with the day, reading, writing, and all of that good stuff. Do you have anything else for our dear listener, Scott? No, thanks for listening. Hey, it's great to have all of you here, and we will see you next time.